happens this morning. I had the experience that half of our clocks were accurate when I woke up, smart clocks, and the other half were an hour off, inaccurate. And I confess that I had about four seconds of anxiety as I looked at a clock that was not accurate, and I pictured all of you here and me running late to church. I don't know if anyone else had that experience with different clocks, different messages. I kind of see that as a metaphor for our culture right now. There are all kinds of messages, and false teaching always produces anxiety. And then I talked to some people who also said, wait a minute, daylight savings, didn't we cancel that? Didn't we vote that that's finished? Like, isn't that over? And today, people are confused what's canceled, what's not canceled, what's true, what's not true, and trying to sort through all of that. That's why it's so important that we gather together on the weekend, because as we gather here, God recalibrates his presence, the Holy Spirit, there's shifts in our lives that happen, deep shifts in our thinking, in our perspective, God's power. We recalibrate with God's word. It's a rich time. I'm so glad we come together every Sunday to dive into God's word, to meet with God and what God does to align us with himself and with each other. And this is a series about being connected. God's spirit and God's word connect us and in this series, going through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today's focus is on being connected with full relationships. Who wants full relationships? Don't we settle for less than that all of the time? And what does it look like? How do you experience full relationships? That's the message today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on your phones, or if you brought a Bible, we're gonna start in verse 25 as we dive into God's word, but more importantly, God's word dwells in us. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise. We thank you today, God, for our health and strength and for our church family. We bless you and thank you for churches meeting not only across the sound, but across the nation today, God, to seek you and to praise you. And Father, our minds are on the Middle East. We pray for Israel. We pray for peace in Israel. God, we pray for leaders across the Middle East to listen to you and honor you. We pray for people across the Middle East to turn to you and come to know you. And God, we pray for leaders in our country to make wise decisions in the response. Father, our hope in every difficult situation, Jesus, it's because your death on a cross for us and your resurrection, that we stand in hope, we walk in hope, we live with hope today that's indestructible, and we thank you, God, for this hope that's greater than our challenges. We pray for your presence and love to flood us today, and God, we pray that the overflow would bring you glory, and we commit this to you in Jesus' name, amen. We are called to be connected. Let's say that together. We are called to be connected. Let that sink in in this series. Know that that's true. God is calling us to be even more connected. Well, what does that look like? God wants to move deeply in our hearts and powerfully in our relationships. You stop and think sometimes, how does God move? What does God wanna do? God wants to move deeply in our hearts and powerfully in our relationships. That's true throughout scripture, that's true today, and in this series, we're really taking an honest look. We're taking an inventory. The quality of our relationships, what shifts should we make to honor God, to walk with God, his love, his truth, 
And when you think about connected, there's three aspects. Connected to God, that's most important. Connected to each other. As we abide with God, we're gonna grow in our unity. And then third, connected to the calling that God has on our lives to make an impact in this world. In the culture, there's a lot of struggling with relationships and we relate because we struggle in our relationships as well. And sometimes the quality of the relationships aren't and the connection isn't there where we know it could be or should be. And there's a lot of versions. Here's five versions. For some people, they really go solo and it feels easier and simpler but they're kind of lonely and they're lacking some real connection. Going solo won't fulfill your soul. The second version is shallow relationships. Relationships that feel more like a snack than a meal. They feel more like a glimpse of the other person or the outside story than the inside story. The third version is selfishness. Selfishness is like a cancer in marriages and it destroys, it undermines friendships, marriage, family relationships. A lot of times where there's selfishness, there's simply a lack of spiritual focus and growth. And when you remove God in a relationship, things can crumble rather quickly instead of being intentional about seeking God first, having him be at the center of our homes. A fourth is that we have relationships that are strained and there's strife and we have more conflict than is necessary and we don't even know how to work through the conflict. It doesn't feel like a full relationship. And the last is through social media. We have all these virtual relationships. We think we know people, but we're not really eye to eye and face to face. And you might have 100 followers, but would any of them even buy you a cup of coffee and hang out with you? These virtual relationships, and we're searching, we're starving for the relationships that God wants to strengthen. And in Christ, here's the good news. We are invited first with God and with each other. We are encouraged. We are empowered. And this chapter is very direct, very specific, very practical, very helpful. Today, we're going to look at two verses. The first verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You could summarize that verse by saying, love one another. No more divisions, love one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, we get a picture and the divisions in the church in Corinth. And some churches, local churches, have a lot of divisions. Some just don't have very many. And there's a real difference in connected. The Corinthians had divisions. 1 Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse 10 Again, let's take a look at the relationships and the divisions they were struggling with. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. It almost sounds like the denominations are breaking out, you know? First Apollos, so I go to first Paul. I go to first Cephas, so I'm actually over at second Cephas, and this is where we like, you know? All these divisions were happening. Why? Because we exalt some people above what they should be exalted, 
and then we push some other people down and overlook people that should not be overlooked. Wherever you see divisions, someone is being exalted too high and someone is being pushed down too low. Cephas, too high, right? Apollos, too high. Paul, too high. And if Christ isn't the head and focus of a church, other people will be overlooked. All kinds of divisions breaking out at Corinth. And was Apollos used by God? Yes. Acts chapter 18 and 19. Is Apollos gifted? Yes. Is he visible? Yes. But he's just an instrument of what God is doing in the community. Don't be confused. Give God the glory, not Apollos the glory. Apollos is visible. Some other people, their gifts aren't as visible. And in Corinth, the people that are behind the scenes are sometimes neglected because their gifts aren't as noticeable. They're not as spectacular. They're not as prominent. Prominence does not equal importance. Let's say that together. Prominence does not equal importance. Think about your own body. Your brain's pretty important. Your heart's pretty important. Your spleen is pretty important. Your liver is pretty important. Your kidney, your veins, your artery. If those arteries get clogged, that's pretty important. All those things are not visible when you meet someone. What's visible is more noticeable, but prominence doesn't mean importance. And that's true in the body of Christ, not just in our physical bodies, but in our, we are one family. God has one family. Jesus has one body. And it's important to say no to divisions and say yes to dependence. Dependence, that's uh, a way that we relate to one another. It's not over-dependence. We don't have idolatry with one another, but a healthy dependence, just like your body has a healthy dependence, we have a healthy dependence. And that's wise, that builds unity, that leads to maturity, and a dependence is learned, and it involves trust. Maturity in your walk with God does not mean independence. Some people have a false notion that if they really get strong in their walk with God, they won't need other people. They can just get their Bibles, have their devotions, be really solid, and that's the end goal. In fact, that's completely false. That's a lie from the pit. The more mature you are, the more connected you are in the body of Christ. If you're going independent, you're reading the wrong Bible and you got the wrong end zone. And that's not spiritual maturity. Here's another misnomer. Some people think spiritual maturity is all my friends are Christian, I'm in the Christian bubble, and I don't really ever have any impact with unbelievers because the more mature I get, the more insulated I get. I wanna tell you, that's another lie from the pit. That is not spiritual maturity. That is not Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, the more, yes, we have fellowship, and yes, we change the world through the power of God and we share the gospel everywhere we go. We need some correct views when it comes to the body of Christ needing each other, depending on each other, and the impact God has called us to make where we live, work, learn, or play every single day. We need a clear vision of spiritual maturity so that we continue to grow and we don't retreat thinking more independent, more insular, more of an echo chamber, more spiritual, stronger than I've ever been. No, that's actually going backwards. And Paul's laying this out because the Corinthians are confused. Sometimes they're going sideways, sometimes they're going forward, sometimes they're going backwards. And there's some areas in our life, I'm gonna highlight four, that you will never move past or go beyond. First is the Bible. There is no 
book like this book. This is God's word. There's no other book that we can say this is God's word. You will not see the Bible as a starting point and then add a whole bunch of other books that are superior to this book. This is our truth and this is God's word. There's all kinds of junk that happens in a church when people start to rip out passages and chapters and principles and replace it with whatever they feel like or whatever the culture's saying, or whatever they're reading in some other book. We won't, this book is eternal. God is eternal, we are eternal, this book is eternal. This is God's word. We won't move past that. And then here's the second one that you won't move past. There's nothing greater in our lives than faithfulness to God. The North Star, faithfulness to God. There's nothing deeper than faithfulness and obedience. You won't say, well, I've got something a lot deeper than faithfulness. No, faithfulness is our North Star. Here's another one we never move past, dependence in the body of Christ. Sometimes I have these moments just with our team because our team is so outstanding. And I think with our staff team, wow, if this person wasn't here, if this person wasn't here, if this person wasn't here, like, it's, it's a little bit in me, like, wouldn't it be safer to not have to rely on each other so much? But no, this is a faith step. This is a trust step. And around our church, too, relying on life group leaders and everyone else serving. Like, we won't move past dependence on each other, a healthy dependence. And another one, you will never move past reliance on the Holy Spirit. You can go to seminary. You can get a PhD. You can take all the electives. You can continue and study in Greek and Hebrew. You can read every theological book. Do you know every single week I face 25 situations? Uh, We have four teenagers in our house. We have 25 situations that are not in the Bible. There's no, and, and it's Holy Spirit, empower us, lead us, guide us with love and wisdom today. We will never move past reliance on the Holy Spirit. And these are cornerstones in our walk with God. Don't be duped to thinking, oh, there's another way, a different way. I'm so far beyond those things. That is how we abide and follow Jesus. But Corinthians, they're growing, they're stumbling, they're growing, they're stumbling. The Thessalonians are a little further down the road when it comes to being connected and understanding connection with God, connection with each other. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Isn't that a great statement and testimony, that the love that we have for one another in life groups, together as we serve, as a church family, on the weekends, the friendships, opening up our home, isn't it a great testimony? Wouldn't that be great if every church could say the love we have for one another, we're growing in love, we're growing in truth, our relationships are growing, we're growing with God. That is vibrant, that's healthy, and healthy things multiply. We wanna be alive in our faith. We wanna grow together, not be stuck, not be stagnant, connected. And these Thessalonians, they amplify, they abide with Jesus, they amplify. From this church, they were spreading the good news everywhere. Because when you connect with God and connect with your church family, there's an overflow that reaches and saturates the community. That's the picture of how God moves. And in this verse, we read, have equal concern for one another. Have mutual concern. Have mutual love. The more love we have for one another, the more unity we will have. 
This is not the easiest place to experience incredible unity because we are so diverse. If you hang out with a homogenous group and you got your four friends that look and talk and think and everything just like you, unity is a little easier. Everyone already agrees with you. Same preferences, same passion, same perspective. We got great unity with me and the four who just do whatever I do, look like what I look like. When you have a church family that's this diverse on this many levels, love brings unity. And if we don't have love in our hearts, love in our friendships, open up our home, listen to each other, value each other, equality with each other, if we are not going down that road of love, then our unity won't be so strong. God wants to give us love so that our unity continues to grow. We need God's love for this unity to happen. Paul wrestled with this in Corinth because as he was so vulnerable and transparent, he wrote two letters, first and second Corinthians. There's probably a lost letter as well. In second Corinthians six, maybe you can relate to this in your relationships at some moment. He says to the Corinthians, I open wide my heart to you, but you didn't open wide your heart to me. I open wide my heart to you, but your heart is restricted towards me. We don't know why the Corinthians had that response. It could be because Paul spoke some truth. Iron sharpens iron. Paul rebuked them. Love rebukes. Love brings accountability. Paul brought some of that. Shepherding isn't wimpy. Spiritual maturity isn't wimpy. We need love, truth, and accountability. Paul brought some of that. Maybe they closed off. Who are you to hold me accountable? Who are you to rebuke me? Or there were false teachers that infiltrated And with the false teaching, their hearts were hard again towards Paul. We don't know. But Paul's saying, I wanted to love you and I came with an open heart and your heart's more restricted. Have you had a relationship or have some now where you're bringing lots of love and the other person just isn't receiving and responding on the same way? That's a tough spot, isn't it? Part of you just wants to give up and run. Part of you wants to force the other person to love you the same way. But actually, what does it look like, as Paul does here, to continue to stay there, be patient, prayerful, and then continue to draw out the best in the other person. That's the approach Paul takes here, but really it's calling for mutual love. As the Corinthians take communion, they run ahead. There's food, there's a meal. They grab as much as they can. Can you imagine if we had a a gathering? Well, we had one on Friday night. We had a family celebration here. And imagine as we laid out the food, if some people just like took plates and plates and then filled up bags that they could take home and like they're grabbing all the food and the people at the end of the line are like, where'd all the food go? The Corinthians, whether it was a meal, communion, it was a me first culture and it creeped into the church in Corinth. We live in a me first culture and it creeps into our souls. We don't even realize how often we see things with a me-first approach, a me-centered approach. And God was trying to help the Corinthians grow from me to we. And that is one of the most challenging things for us, is to shift from me to we. How do we do that? What does that look like? If it's me first, there's pride, there's quarrels, there's self-centeredness, there's selfishness, and there's shallow relationships. That's what a me-first approach gets us. But a connected approach is countercultural. No one was more connected than Jesus with the Father. 
No one is more countercultural than Jesus in the relationships, tearing down walls of hostility, moving beyond cultural norms. No one is more radical with love, truth, and compassion than Jesus. If we are gonna be like Jesus, that means we are gonna be the most countercultural, the most radical, the most intentional, with the most truth, the most love, the most humility, the most boldness. We're gonna become like Jesus in our relationships. And do we want that? The calling to be connected like Jesus lives, do we want that? Or do we want safe, insular, comfortable, homogenous, predictable, cultural. Which one are we going for? What's our target? If we don't know what our target is, we're certainly not gonna hit it. Well, in this first verse, you might feel like, I don't have that kind of love. I know when I read this first verse, I think I run out of that kind of love. All the time. Can we agree? We all on our own can't do that. Spurgeon says this new affection, When we receive God's love, receivings first, God gives us this new affection for other people that displaces the division, it displaces the sin. It would be as if you had a container of water and you dropped a rock in there, the water's gonna be running out, dispelled, because something stronger, greater has come in. So in the container of complacency, a container of selfishness, when God's love comes in, it has to be dispelled because something greater has come. This new affection that God has for us and we receive, now we live out in our relationships daily. That's the picture. And the good news is that we can have all three. Today, you can be connected with God, connected with other people, and you can be connected to the impact that God is calling you to say and do and live every day. Now, this love, verse 26, we're gonna get specific. If love is authentic, you're gonna see two things. You're gonna see two things, and they're both in verse 26. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, we read, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Your real friends will suffer with you and they will celebrate with you. If you wanna know who your real friends are, watch what happens when you really suffer and who's there. Watch what happens when God blesses you and who's there. Same way, if you're gonna be a loyal friend to someone, you're gonna be there on their most difficult days and you're gonna be the one even more excited than they are when God blesses them. That's the picture, church family, family at home, friendships. You say, what kind of love is here? How will I know? Here's how you know. They will suffer with you, and they will truly celebrate with you. That's the kind of full relationship, because it's easy to say love one another, but what does that actually look like? And here's a list of one another's. And let's take a look at this together. I want us to say these out loud as we get a picture of love. And I think by saying them, they'll sink in. I know it's a lot of reading, but you had an extra hour of sleep. So we're gonna do this together. (laughs) Uh, Let's put that hour to good use. Don't read the verse, but just read the sentence. All right, let's do it together. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, 
live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Provoke or stimulate one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Some of you are thinking, I didn't realize how many one another statements there are in the Bible. I thought we were going to do seven. We did 28. It's almost as if God really wants us to understand this is not about me, but this is about we. And how do we live out the one another's? It starts at home. It starts home. If we don't do it at home, how are we going to come together at church and do it? And you know, how do we do it in a big gathering? Life groups. This is one of the reasons why life groups are at the core of our church. Because when you spend time and you pray and you get into God's word and you serve together and those friendships come, those one another's, that's a context where you can live those out together. There's lots of opportunities. God wants to empower us to love one another and live out the one another's. Not ignore them or shrink them or sidestep them. Now, suffer with each other. Let's talk about suffering and celebrating and focus in on those two. Suffer with each other. You might think, who wants to do that? That does not sound appealing. Hey, what do you want to do today? I want to suffer with each other. Something I've never heard, something I've never heard. I don't know anyone that wakes up. We don't like to suffer with each other. You know what we like to do? We like to wake up and check our phones with our apps. And then we like to get our breakfast or our coffee and get into our car. Then we like to go to our job and try to find a good job for me. And then we like to drive home in our car, our nice car. And then we pull into our garage and we close our garage door and we don't really know our neighbors. And then we go into our house and we turn on our entertainment and we probably get out our phones again and get our food again. And hopefully no one's really asking too much of us at this point because we can get a little more of our entertainment and sleep in our comfortable bed so we can wake up the next morning to do it all again. Woo, what a compelling vision for living for Jesus and changing this world. I tell you, it's good to live that way, isn't it? The patterns of this world are not aligned with scripture. And you've got the world going this way and you've got the word going this way and we're trying to figure out how come I'm going with the world and I'm just not experiencing God like I want to. You can't have the pattern of this world and the power of God's word at the same time. So as we think through this, why don't we like to suffer with each other? It takes time. We don't feel like we got any time. We run around with no margin. How dare you interrupt me? 
How dare you bring your pain into my life? I'm already overwhelmed. I'm just trying to get through it financially and technology and my entertainment and you're gonna add something? That's gonna take time and energy. I'll probably have to listen. I'll probably have to enter in emotionally. I don't wanna do any of that. I'm running on empty. I'm not really abiding with Jesus. I'm just trying to sustain and survive. I've got nothing to give to you. That's so often the place that our culture is in. And yet God calls us to abide, to suffer with one another. If we're gonna suffer with one another, and in our church, I'm so glad all the ways we comfort, encourage, pray with one another. If we're gonna live this out, we've gotta avoid some things. Avoid Proverbs 25:20. There's some traps in the Bible it says to avoid when you suffer with one another. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, don't do that. Or like vinegar poured on a wound, don't do that. It's like salt in a wound. Is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Now a little bit confusing because songs are a gift from the Lord. Praise is a gift from the Lord. There's healing with praise and music. It's a language of our soul. But this phrase doesn't refer to that. Singing songs to a heavy heart is when someone's really suffering and you just show up like, woo, let's sing, quick fix. It's not a big deal, let's go. And they've got some things to work through and walk through and some depth and some healing. You can't just show up and say, microwave, be happy, let's go. Does that work, husbands, when your wife's having a tough day and you show up and go, microwave, be happy, let's go. Similar spouses, wives to husbands, snap out of it. Who cares your job's difficult? Snap out of it, let's go. Like, snap out of it doesn't really produce deep healing. What's another one? Uh, just take a pill. Now, medication can be helpful. Medication can be a blessing. But we're in a culture where we think instead of connecting with God and connecting with other people, well, we don't really need all that. Let's just get the right pill. Let's get the right amount. Let's get the right prescription. What's the pill that's gonna fix everything? Well, then I'll take two. If there's three I need, then I'll take three. Just give me the pill, because the pill's easier than connecting with God and connecting with other people. Or what else? Bad advice. Job's friends. Job thought they really walk with God until he started to suffer. And then they started to say things about God that were so false. And one of the most damaging things when you're suffering is if you have people come by who are religious and drop, drive by guilting, they drop a load of shame on you and they think they're so righteous and helpful. We don't wanna be like Job's friends. And then also, when we're suffering, when someone else is suffering, we think, let's just have distance, because it's safer. So we have all these fake spiritual people that they think I'm so spiritual, because I wake up in the morning, and I have a perfect devotional, and I have my schedule time blocked, and I have everything working out perfectly. Well, are you actually in people's lives when they suffer? Oh, no, 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 I'm doing perfect devotional on my YouVersion Bible app, and I'm having the best devotionals out of anyone here. Great, your life looks really tidy, and where's the impact? You impress people from a distance, you impact from up close. Ministry is messy. Look at the life of Jesus, was it tidy or messy? Wasn't close to being tidy. If your life is so tidy in your walk with God, it might be a calling today to get more messy. Get where people are 
into the relationships, into the suffering, into the transparency, into the redemptive pieces, into cultivating the habits, into connecting with them and God. It's messy. It's messy. The Bible says, help carry the burdens of other people. This is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean if someone can work and just refuses to work and is lazy all the time, just keep enabling them. It doesn't mean if someone has an addiction, just keep bailing them out all the time. That is not what carrying each other's burdens means. Carrying each other's burdens means when someone is going through something that is massive, like they found out they just have cancer. They found out they were just in an unfair way, fired from their job. When they're going through something that is so big and they need some people to come around them, you're right there saying, what do you need and how can we help? It's our Good Samaritan Fund that we come alongside of people who are in need with a legitimate need and we help them along the way. Help carry one another's burdens. What does that look like? Be there. Your presence is an incredible gift. Just be there. Listen, weep with them. The Bible says weep with those who weep. Bring them a meal, write a card, send them encouraging texts through the week, pray for them. There's a word called fellowship and it's in the Bible. A lot of times in our culture, we don't use the word fellowship. And sometimes there's confusion about this word. Some people just hear it and think it's a stained glass word, fellowship. Now, when I first became a Christian and it didn't happen until I was a young adult, I started to hear this word fellowship for the first time. And I heard the fellowship hall. We're meeting in the fellowship hall. It was as if fellowship happens in that hall, but it doesn't really happen anywhere else. But if you come to the fellowship hall, you're gonna have fellowship. And I was just confused. And then there was the fellowship potlucks and the fellowship meals. And it's great to eat together, but you can eat together and not really have fellowship. And fellowship, the guys were getting together at the church. We're gonna watch the game for fellowship. And we would watch the game and we would call that fellowship. I'm not really sure that was fellowship. I think we we're just watching the game. I watched the game before I came to know Christ. I watched the game with the guys at church. It was the same thing. We just watched the game. What is fellowship? Fellowship is far more than a place, a meal, or a game. Fellowship is koinonia, which means sharing. And it means participation. It's not passive, it's not guarded. It means sharing and participation. We share in our commitments in following Jesus. We share in community. We share in our sufferings. We share in our celebrations. We're sharing life. We're sharpening each other and we're becoming more like Jesus. There's depth in our relationships. That's koinonia fellowship. We live in a culture that doesn't value fellowship. We live in a culture that values individualism and we need to return to that rich word fellowship. In Acts chapter 12, verses one through five, we read as persecution broke out and I think of all the nations right now where Christians are being killed and beaten, tortured. Well, in Acts chapter 12, that's what was happening. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. They had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, now he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers, uh, four squads of four soldiers each, 
Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison. Would you agree that Peter was suffering in prison right there? But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What does this tell us? The church was aware and the church took action. When someone's suffering, first are you aware? If you're not aware, you're probably not gonna take action. But if you're aware, now you take action and it's compassion and action. They are connected to Peter. He's in prison, they can't get there, but they're connected through compassion. Compassion connects us and it leads to action. In the English Premier League for soccer, there's a team called Liverpool. That happens to be my favorite team. There's a slogan for Liverpool, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And the whole stadium sings it. You'll never walk alone. And what a message. If it's true for followers of a club with soccer, how much more true should it be for followers of Jesus? That we're aware, we take action, we're connected with compassion, no one walks alone. No one stands alone. The body of Christ. And to live that out together, that's our calling. That's what we wanna trust God with. There's a digital outreach around the world, um, and in the US was a focus called He Gets Us. Anyone catch one of those commercials, the Super Bowl, television, He Gets Us? Have you seen that campaign? Um, Christians have intentionally been sharing Jesus through the He Gets Us campaign. Here's what's interesting. Out of all the cities in America, do you know where the biggest response was to the He Gets Us campaign? Right here in Seattle. Out of every city in the country, He Gets Us, talking about Jesus, He's God and He's human, He's well acquainted with suffering and sorrows, the biggest interest in Jesus through this digital outreach, is here in Seattle. What does that tell us? If you don't know, Seattle is also the saddest city in America. They did some research, the saddest city. What does that tell us? People all around the sound are suffering. And they're interested in Jesus more than any other city. And they're suffering and they're wondering, how do I connect with Jesus? And who's gonna connect with me. A digital outreach can only go so far. The personal is where lives are changed. The digital reveals to us, in the Seattle right now, people are longing in their suffering to connect with Jesus and with other people. Will the church across the sound look and go beyond the four walls of the church to come alongside those who are suffering and suffer with people by listening and caring and loving. That's the call on our life, to do it here with each other and to look beyond the walls of the church. The last part is celebrate with each other. Look at Romans 12, 15. When you think about celebrating and celebrating with each other, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That's how you love people. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. The traps when God blesses someone is that we start to compare, there's rivalry, if God blesses someone, we get extra critical. Well, let's find some dirt on them. Let's find a flaw. Let's find some weakness. Or there's jealousy, envy, and resentment. I would agree that it's tough when God blesses someone, and yet that's the very area where you've been wanting, desiring, praying, and waiting. 
When you're single and God blesses someone else with marriage, that takes a prayer before you're able to go to that wedding and fully celebrate. When God blesses someone with a job while you're still waiting for a job, that's some sanctification to celebrate fully with them before you have the job that you're waiting for. When God blesses someone with something that you're praying and waiting and desiring and you don't have it yet, that's when you go to Jesus and you say, I'm gonna choose to worship you, Jesus, and celebrate with that person. I'm gonna celebrate with them like I love them. I'm gonna honor, rejoice with them, and I'm not gonna be self-focused. That's an intentional decision. Romans 12, nine says it this way, and I think this goes to our heart today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The work of loving people starts in our own hearts. And this is the work God wants to do. It's gotta be authentic. People are gonna see through it. Hate what is evil. Get rid of the junk and the me and the self-focus and the selfishness. Cling to what is good. I'm gonna suffer with people, celebrate with people. We had staff bowling this week and we had a great time bonding together. And staff bowling, I've never seen our staff celebrate with each other as much as we did bowling. I mean, sure, it's not the deep sort of celebrating, but it's the fun sort of celebrating. I mean, there was the bowling, and then there was the celebrating. It was like two sports wrapped into one. And there's our staff team. Can we give it up for our staff team? All they do, so good. And so we had some fun. We had a bonding time. Here's a picture. But the celebrating that happened, it would be like Rick got two strikes in a row, and on the third one, he almost got three strikes in a row except one pin that just wouldn't go down. Amanda says she doesn't really bowl, and she was bowling like 145. We were celebrating. Here comes Hilda, you know, and she's always serving at our church. Hilda's knocking down spares and doing a dance we don't usually see, having some fun together. And you go down, Mark Edwards is bowling 215 like it's easy, you know? We're just like, high five, Mark, high five. Like, with everybody, there's these high fives, celebrations. And when you think about the Christian life, you might think about a sport. There are some sports that are more individual. Rock climbing, a little more individual. Swimming, it's hard to give a high five underneath the water with somebody, right? <laughs> Cross country running, like you're off running. There are some sports, golf, like you don't see a lot of like chest bumps and like, you know, you, some sports are a little more individualistic. And I think some of us read the Bible and kind of see that experience. But there's other sports like bowling where it's all about connection and celebration, sand volleyball, Elkai Beach, I'm just watching them every single point. Good job, good hustle, good job, good hustle. Baseball, you're always touching. Basketball, I play basketball. You're always picking each other up, talking, time out, build each other up. I think the Christian life, football, I think it looks more like the connected sports than the individual sports. And you might say, no, I'm gonna make it an individual sport. Christianity and follow Jesus is gonna be solo and it's gonna be awesome. I don't think it's gonna be solo and awesome. I just don't. So God wants us to make some shifts. And when you open up this Bible, you're gonna be tempted to see it as God gives me salvation. I have a relationship with Christ. God gives me wisdom. God give me peace. God speak to me, 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 me. And yet we get to the Lord's prayer. Our Father. 
our Father. And then the focus is on you, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then what do we pray? Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil so we can bring you glory. We need some big shifts. God wants to make some big shifts and it starts with that deposit. Paul begins the letter to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord be with you. Receive God's grace today. He ends the letter, the grace of the Lord be with you. He ends the letter by saying, I love you all so much. Would you receive God's love today? If you've never put your trust in Jesus, it's time to start the relationship. He died for your sins and he's risen. There's no greater source of love. If you know Jesus, but you've been trying to do solo Christianity, it's time to repent. It's time to say, God, I don't wanna see the Bible and see my world like my culture. I I wanna see it, God, with your eyes and your heart. I wanna see my family with your eyes and your heart. I wanna see my church family, my life group with your eyes and your heart. The team I serve with here, God, with your eyes and your heart. Father God, forgive us today of not suffering with each other, not celebrating, not really loving and trying to make it so tidy and trying to stay so safe and comfortable. God, you're calling us to risks. You're calling us to real love, authentic love. And as we reflect and we're closing this service now, what is God really speaking to you today? A message on relationships. It's fitting we end with reflection. What is God speaking to you today? the receiving of his love? What are the specific relationships in your life that need to change the most? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's with unbelievers that don't know Jesus yet. Where is God leading you for something very new? A new song, a new song. God, as we think about our relationships today, We open up our hearts wide to you and receive your grace and love that abounds. It's greater than our stubbornness. God, I pray hard hearts would be softened in this place. Restoration would happen in your power. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit today. Help us to know our role in this church family, life groups, serving, baptism. Help us to enter into real fellowship not just be in the same room, not just have a meal, not just the same doctrinal statement, but real relationships. Lead and guide us, Jesus, as our good shepherd. Help us to experience full relationships with you, with each other. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name.